Journey to the West, an audio drama series. Production notes, episode one. Hello, dear listeners.、Um, this is Lin, the voice of the fifth monkey. In this series, I will guide you through the many editorial decisions we made in the process of creating this audio drama. For instance, why we chose one translation over the other, the reason behind some of our bolder approaches in bringing the story to you. As well as plenty of background details that we couldn't include in the drama because there is simply not enough time. In this first episode of production notes, we will cover some of the more foundational issues and hopefully could make you, our listeners, feel more grounded. And I hope you're relaxed when listening because we would also like to take a more relaxed, chat-like approach to these episodes. So to clear a few things up,、uh, yes, we will present the novel's author as Mr. Wu Chengen, who was alive during the Ming Dynasty. The authorship of Journey to the West remains a heated debate in academia, and evidence for either side exists, though neither is abundant enough to convince the opposite side. And no second name has been able to unite opponents of Wu's authorship. Therefore, for simplicity and also as recognition for the amount of research and debate that has taken place so far,、uh, we will acknowledge Wu as the main contributor who put together these 100 chapters. So that's what we're going with. With that being said, do remember, and I think that's very important for all readers of Journey to the West, and you will hear us repeat this again and again in production notes. Is that even if Wu was the man who put together this novel, he definitely was not the original creator for all the characters and plots in it. Journey to the West, like its fellow classics of the same era, Romance of the Three Kingdoms and Water Margin, are works of the collective creativity. You can trace a lot of the characters and stories back to earlier works of lore, fiction, or stage. Yes, in the end, a few brilliant writers put everything together to make a coherent story. But please remember that Journey to the West isn't the imagination of one single brain. Instead, it is the imagination and creativity of the people. Generations of unnamed artists over centuries created bits and pieces of the story, which was eventually sewn together into one novel. In the end, we need to thank not only those who have their names on the cover, but also the masses. And that, interestingly, may also be able to explain some of the logical loopholes we will find later in the story. But we will leave it at that for now.、And、moving on, our main English reference for the script are the two existing unabridged translations of the novel, one by Mr. Anthony C. Yu. And the other by W. J. F. Jenner. If you want to read the original text with the most context, Anthony C. Yu's version has more footnotes than you can wish for. It also has a great and lengthy introduction of the novel.、Uh, we learn something new every time we flip it. Mr. Yu was also a scholar of religion, so if you want to learn more about the symbolism and religious context, definitely choose his version. But I do admit it's very heavy reading for beginners, especially if you're unfamiliar with Chinese culture and mythological systems. 
The general version is an easier read in comparison. His goal was to make the story sound as if it wasn't translated from another language. So there are some bold localization here and there, and sometimes you feel like he was ramming it through. And for some reason, the foreign language press print of his translations are not very well proofread. But overall, it's a better choice for readers who simply want to understand the story and don't need to dig too much into the details. And of course, there are other abridged translations for you to choose from. We won't get into those. As for the Chinese reference, which our script is ultimately based on, we are using the 2014 Zhonghua Book Company print of the novel annotated by Mr. Li Tianfei. And the reason I need to make that clear is because the novel historically has had multiple editions circulating. Our audio drama series will be based on the 100 plus one chapter version first put together by the People's Literature Publishing House in 1979. We will discuss the details on the different versions when we actually get to that extra chapter. So more on that later. Next topic: chapter titles. In the novel, each chapter has its own title written in couplets. We decided not to include them because they are too heavy on the symbolism and are often spoilers. They're also too long to be video titles anyway, so we did away with them. You can always check the Yu or Jenner translations for the titles.、Uh, moving on, what kind of changes will we have to make to the original text in order to make the audio drama? Our answer is, hopefully, as little as possible. The original novel has great dialogues, and our hope is that we can keep as much of that as possible. That's actually the easier parts,、um, because the novel was written in very plain language. The parts we do need to take out or simplify are mostly long background information that bear little significance to the main story, repetitive text, or long descriptive poems. A good example of that would be the start of chapter one. In the audio drama, we very quickly illustrated the overall setting of the novel and moved on to the birth of the monkey. In the novel, however, there was a long, winding description of how the world came into being, how much time has passed, and so on.、Uh, we need to jump straight into the story, so we summarize that part into just a few lines. As for repetitive text, another example from chapter one. So after the stone monkey was born, we said he befriended all the creatures in the mountain. In the novel, to quote the Jenner translation, he made friends with the wolves, went around with the tigers and leopards, was on good terms with the deer, and had the other monkeys and apes for relations. The sentences here used a technique we call hu wen or multiply implied phrasing, meaning the parallel components of the sentences complement each other, forming a meaning that is richer and more layered than the text itself. In this example, even though the text said the monkey were friends with the deer and have other primates for relations, it does not mean his ties with primates are somehow deeper than that with the deer or other animals. We need to read the sentence as a whole, with the parallel elements being interchangeable, and understand that he in fact developed all sorts of ties with all sorts of animals. 
And now you will understand why our translation became "He befriended all the animals of the mountains, regardless of their differences." Another classic example of the Huwen technique comes from Mulan Shi, the Ballad of Mulan, the definitive work of poetry that established the tale of a girl who dressed up as a man to join the army in her father's place. In it, one stanza went, quoting the translation by Jack Yuan. She binds a fine steed at the East Market, a saddle and blanket at the West Market, a bridle at the South Market, and a long whip at the North Market. The text here does not mean she actually bought each of these specific items from each of these specific markets. In fact, these markets don't even have to exist. What the poem is actually saying here is that she bought all these stuff from markets all around. Huwen is a commonly used technique in classic writing. And we can find examples of it throughout the novel. As for descriptive poems, they are scattered everywhere. You often get a new one whenever the characters reach a new place—mountains, rivers, towns, and cities, etc. While no two poems are the same, the elements and themes are rather repetitive, and most of them do not bear much significance in the story either. Hence, we will try to simplify those parts as well. So, when faced with long and often repetitive poems, we would shorten them to just give you a general picture. In some poems, there will be a few lines that are vital to the plot or dialogue. In that case, we would definitely make sure you get to hear them. For example, the song sung by the woodcutter in Chapter One, Part Two. The novel presented the complete song, but because it was too heavy with references, we only included the final sentence, which the monkey quoted as the reason he approached the man. If you're watching the episode on video, one easy way to tell if we are translating a poem verbatim is see whether the Chinese subtitles appear simultaneously at the top. If we are translating it sentence by sentence, there will be Chinese subtitles. If not, there will only be the English subtitles. Now that you're done listening to episode one, hopefully you probably also notice how much time we put into explaining the names, units, and their meanings. This is something that written translation can accomplish with footnotes. In audio drama form, we just have to disrupt the flow of the story to get that out of the way. It might take some getting used to, but the hope is that this could prepare listeners for a much more smooth experience down the line. So, in the earlier chapters, we will stop and explain a little more, but eventually, they will just be a natural part of the story that requires no further explanation. This is especially important for the units. There are reasons why we insist on using the Chinese terms instead of replacing them with Western units or converting them to modern metrics. Firstly, units have strong cultural implications and are intrinsically connected to people's way of life. Swapping them out for terms from a different place or era simply erases that connection. Secondly, units do not always exist solely for calculative purposes. In Chinese literature, especially. Numbers and units often serve an implied meaning rather than refer to exact numbers. This is something readers can pick up as they read more. Basically, we will keep the units the way they are, and we have reasons to back that up. And you might have also noticed that we are pronouncing the names in Mandarin first before translating them. This was actually a no-brainer for us、um, back in the day when the Yu and general translations were published. The world was a different place. 
and the average reader was much less resourceful than they are today. So these two translators had to make hard choices when deciding what parts to translate and what parts to leave as they are, hoping to be both faithful to the original text and reader-friendly at the same time. For listeners of today, we felt they would be way more prepared to, first of all, hear names spoken in another language. And most importantly, we felt it would be a disservice to our listeners if you never got to hear how the names are spoken in their source language. That is also why we chose to use Sanskrit for some of the terms that originated from Sindhu. And we very much have the Yu translation to thank for that. I am not a native Sanskrit speaker, as you can probably tell, but we do have one on the team. He's a good teacher, and all failures are mine. By the same logic, it is also why we will be using traditional Chinese for any on-screen presentation during the story. Nothing wrong with simplified Chinese, and the line between simplified and traditional Chinese are blurrier than most of you think. But we made that choice simply because traditional Chinese is closer to what the novel was originally written in. So, what was your favorite line from Chapter One? My top two will always be the Jay Empress. There's nothing remarkable about it, and the line from the monkeys. Since we're free today, why I love the first line, you will know why soon enough. And the second line is just funny because it's not like the monkeys have a job or anything; they're free every day. And it's just extra funny when they would point it out like that, as if there are actually working days. Just a moment of trivia here:、um, that quote on trustworthiness that the monkey king quoted was actually a famous line from Confucius. Literally, one of the most famous things he said. How a bunch of wild monkeys came to know the words of Confucius remains a mystery. Um, this is getting a bit too long, and maybe we have to leave some stuff for the next episode. I hope this doesn't end up snowballing. But just one last thing: we would like to make these episodes as accessible as possible, so English subtitles will be available for episodes of both the main story and production notes. In addition, subtitles in Chinese will be provided for production notes like this one. And I guess it's a good place to conclude the first episode of production notes. We will discuss more on character names in the next episode. Depending on where you're listening, please don't forget to 一键三连 or subscribe. This is the Fifth Monkey, and thank you for listening. Journey to the West, an audio drama series, is a production by the Fifth Monkey. If you enjoy our work. Please support us on Patreon.com/slash/TheFifthMonkey or head to www.TheFifthMonkey.com to support us on social media. Shares, comments, emails—all are welcome. This is Lin. See you in the next episode.